I also see women struggling, especially when they're just starting. What what do I have to share? Well, guess what? There's always somebody who is less experienced than you that wants to hear your story and wants to hear your perspective. And that's why people learn, right? It's why they read millions of books around the same topic. Mm -hmm. It's, it's because of the perspectives. That's what makes it interesting. And so realizing, get over the self doubt, get over the fact that you think of this fear that you have to be perfect and just put yourself out there. And it is more likely to Welcome to the Next Level Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Hara. I've been in different leadership positions over the last seven years, and the most rewarding thing is when I'm able to help women on their way to a promotion or a better position with another company. I'm here to help so many more women see their potential and implement small changes every day to make a huge impact in their career. I focus on confidence, self-awareness, communication, growth mindset, networking, and more. If you're ready to believe in yourself and take action, you're in the right place. Let's go. So let me tell you a little bit more about Josie. Josie Haynes has been an engineering leader focused on large-scale consumer technology at companies such as Apple, Zynga, American Express, and Tile for 20 years. She is currently Senior Director of Platform and Web Engineering, as well as Head of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Tile. She created and manages a five-person Windows team based in Vancouver and leads the engineering efforts integrating the Tile technology into partner ecosystems, including enabling Google Home devices to directly ring and locate Tiles, as well as partnering with Intel and HP to enable Intel-based laptops to behave as Tiles with no additional hardware. She also manages the seven-person web team that handles all aspects of the tile.com e-commerce experience, bringing in millions in yearly revenue. In her free time, Josie is on a mission to keep women in tech, and in her role as head of DEI at Tile, she advocates for diversity and inclusion across the entire company at the executive team level and sets the company's yearly DEI strategy and budget. She spends her free time speaking about retaining women in tech, empathy in engineering, and effective and fair management practices that reduce bias and empower all team members to thrive. She has given over 40 talks in the last two years, including at the Grace Hopper and Empowered Women of the World conferences. She is also an active mentor at the Mentoring Club, Power to Fly, UCSC, and Play-Doh, and started and leads the Tile Mentoring Program. With that, we'll jump right in. All right, everyone. I am here with Josie Haynes today. Josie, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's so exciting to be here. Thank you. Josie and I met through Alpha, the community. It's at alpha.com. A lot of people are frequently posting about work life and everything that's going on from founders of companies to women in the workplace dealing with all sorts of different things. And that is how I got introduced to Josie. And I was so excited when she was willing to talk about really life in the tech world, especially as a female. So I am so excited to have you with us today. 
Josie, I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit personally and professionally. Feel free to share whatever you would like, and uh, we're excited to get to know you better. All right. Awesome. So yes, I'm Josie Haynes. I currently live in the Silicon Valley in the South Bay. I've worked in the tech industry now for over 20 years. I moved out here in early 2000 after I pretty much fell in love with the culture and the climate and the technology in the middle of the dot-com boom. And so other than going back to Florida for a year, I've been here uh, my entire career and it's great. So I'm currently the Senior Director of Platform and Web Engineering at Tile as well as Head of our Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Initiatives. On the platform side, I lead the integration of the Tile technology into our partner ecosystems. So that includes enabling things like Google Homes and Comcast routers to be able to find tiles and ring them without needing a phone nearby. And also worked with Intel and HP to enable HP laptops and any Intel-based laptops to behave as tiles without needing additional hardware. And so that's those are very exciting. And then on the website, I actually lead all of our e-commerce initiatives on our tile.com direct site. And I also lead the strategy for diversity initiatives and make sure that we're thinking about it holistically across the company. It sounds like you certainly have your hands full and it seems like in the best of ways you've you've got a lot going on and and you're really excited about the work that you do. So I love that. Yeah, no, it's super exciting and I love what I do every day and it's new. Every day is a new exciting experience. So that's what keeps me uh, excited. Yeah, I think in the tech world, you do get a lot of that it's new and exciting almost every day, especially in some of those more startup environments, but tech in general, you just never really know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I do love that there's a little bit of that unpredictable and that kind of keeps it exciting. Oh yeah. And that's, the reason I stay, right? If I mm-hmm. reflect on my, when I started my career 20 years ago, I was writing mobile applications for cell phones, which were like two lines of black and white text on a tiny yeah. little screen, right? <laughs> like, you know, if I just stayed with that technology today, people would be laughing at me, right? And so, exactly. so much changes. And yeah, that's, that's what makes working in tech so exciting. Yes. So I wanted to talk about internships and get your thoughts there. What are your thoughts on internships after college? And what advice do you have for women who are feeling stressed out about finding that perfect internship? Yeah, so many women in tech come to me and I, I, and say, oh my gosh, I am a sophomore, I need to find that first internship. And then they feel like if they haven't landed those perfect internships during their college career, they're somehow never going to land a job. And so internships are important and they're a great way to get experience but they're not the only way to get experience. And if you don't get them, that does not mean your career is over, right? And so my career has not been linear in any way, shape or form. And so I tell people that because people assume you just keep going up the career ladder and it's always perfect and wonderful and it doesn't work that way. So if you don't land that perfect internship, figure out other things you might do. And what are some examples? 
open source projects. And ex a concrete example of that is there's a spinoff of Anita B called Sisters, and they actually have a huge open source community you can join, and there's open source projects you can join there. But there's a Dev.2 community that also has a wonderful online community, and you can meet other devs who you might find, you know, are looking for partners to collaborate on something with. What I tell people is it's about learning and showing what you're learning, right? There is this lady I was following on LinkedIn and she was a housewife with a number of kids and she decided she wanted to get into tech. And how she did it was she did a boot camp and then she started just going on LinkedIn and talking about what she was learning yeah. and how she was learning it. And through that, she met people who hired her and then eventually she got a job. But it was all about showing what she was learning. And that is definitely not a traditional path into the tech industry. I would imagine women who are going through that route, going to college and then feeling like everything really up until that point is somewhat paved out for you because you go to high school and then you go to college or you go and take these different courses and you're learning these different types of work that you're interested in, but you're right that it is a little bit of a different aspect of how you now get a job after you've had some of that initial exposure and you've learned the different software, the different techniques, then it's like, how do you really get yourself out there? And I love that example of sharing on LinkedIn as hey, this is what I'm learning, this is what I'm doing, and getting that exposure, sharing it with her feed, and people are interested and intrigued by that, and it gets that additional connection as well. Yeah, and, you know, I tell so many people, it's about building your personal brand, and it's not about spending hours on social media, right? Yes. Like, you can be very intentional and do it in less than 15 minutes a day, right? It's about creating some insightful content. And that doesn't mean writing a whole article. It could mean, hey, I learned something today or I applied something in a new way that I think I wanna share with others, right? Mm -hmm. And remember, I also see women struggling, especially when they're just starting. What, what do I have to share? Well, guess what? There's always somebody who is less experienced than you that wants to hear your story and wants to hear your perspective. And that's why people learn, right? It's why they read millions of books around the same topic. Mm -hmm. it's, it's because of the perspectives. That's what makes it interesting. And so realizing, get over the self-doubt, get over the fact that you think of this fear that you have to be perfect and right. just put yourself out there. And it is more likely to make you succeed. Yes, I hope everyone tuning in is feeling all of that empowerment in that message. I agree with you wholeheartedly that it can be scary to put yourself out there, especially when you think you actually know so many more people know more than you. But if you think of it and focus more on those who don't know all of those things and are interested in your perspective, they are interested in learning from you. They connected to you for a reason. So I, I definitely appreciate that message. And there's another thing to kind of add to this and that whole fear thing. And there's this great book called Brave Not Perfect by Rishma Shijani, the CEO of Girls Who Code. Mm -hmm. And in it, she really talks about 
girls tend to be raised to be perfect. You're, you're nice and clean. You play with dolls. Like, and what are the boys encouraged to do? Rough house. They're encouraged to play sports. At the end of the day, boys learn how to negotiate and have disagreements in a constructive way because that's what they're encouraged to do. And so there's this like very telling research study that she mentions in the book, which was a lemonade test. Researchers gave a group of middle school girls and boys lemonade, and it had salt in it. But they told the kids, hey, this is tasty lemonade, you should enjoy it. The Mm -hmm. boys and they were in separate rooms, the boys, as soon as they tried it said, "Ew, this is gross, and they did not drink it. Every girl in the room drank it and didn't say a word. When the researchers then asked them why, they said, we didn't want to hurt your feelings. Mm -hmm. So now imagine that girl in her first meeting at her first company wanting to speak up, but not being able to because she was never raised to be brave. For everybody listening, it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. I was raised to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a struggle. I encourage everybody, you know, be vulnerable and take action. That's, that's really how we're going to succeed in the tech industry. Yes, I agree. I'll definitely reference that book in the show notes so people can easily link to that. It's definitely interesting. And I have two daughters myself and every day they're three and one right now, but I still am like, how can I raise them in a way that they do feel like they can speak their voice and still be kind and all these things. So I feel like I'm constantly perplexed and hopefully one day we can figure it out. So with you having obviously so much success in your role, and I know that that is very much in the black and white, right? I always talk about how on LinkedIn it's and any career path, it looks like it's this upward trajectory and other people see that and might think, wow, that's so amazing. They must have never had any struggles, which is obviously not true, but it's hard if they don't understand that story. And I wanted to talk a little bit more, especially about being a female in tech. Why do you think women have a harder time in tech roles? Because a lot of times we're the only ones in the room, right? And it's it's bias. There's it's unconscious bias, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not a lot of times it's not intentional, but it's the little things. I call it death by a thousand paper cuts. It's yes. walking into a room as the engineering manager and having your program manager be a male, but have everyone always assume that he's the engineering manager and you're the project manager. It's having your ideas appropriated. And, you know, as you go up and up in your career, you're very likely to be the only one in the room and not have a support system and really need to be building that outside. 56% of women leave tech after 10 to 20 years. And it's not because they want to go start a family like that is a reason. But the number one reason is because they felt like they didn't fit in like they Mm -hmm. they felt like they couldn't cut it. And that's just so sad. It is sad to me that this is happening. And we need allies. This isn't something women can fix. I do tell women, hey, we need to fight and to stay in here and we need to build resilience. But hey, this isn't all on us. There is a lot of things we need men to be doing to change 
how things work in the tech industry on a fundamental level. We need to be creating inclusive cultures. We've been focused so much on just increasing the diversity numbers, but there's just been a constant churn. And the reason is because people join, but they can't thrive. So then they just leave. And so the inclusion piece is crucial, but has not been focused on nearly as much because it's much harder to quantify and measure, right? Diversity, mm -hmm. you can measure, hey, exactly. democ you know, demographics, right? Inclusion is much harder. I agree. And you're right. If you're simply hiring women or minority or for diversity, whatever that goal is, if there isn't a message behind that and a plan of how do we help anyone else thrive in these environments, if there isn't a plan around that, you can't simply hire for the type of people who are coming on if they aren't simply male or specifically white males. And you're right, it it needs to have more behind it to show that they really do want everyone to thrive in those environments and figuring out a way to do that. One thing that came up in my mind of women versus men in the workplace in general, it reminded me of this time I was out to lunch with three of my coworkers uh, they were all senior to me, but it was three male coworkers and myself. And when another female came to take our order, she welcomed all of us and acknowledged that it was a business meeting. And then she looked over at my boss and said, and she pointed at me and she said, is this your wife? Like I was his wife attending their business meeting. And I, I just laughed because I was like, this is crazy. I can't believe that. <laughs> like that was the assumption is that it's lunchtime. The whole restaurant is filled with business people doing their business luncheon. Sure, there's some families, there's, there's some women groups getting lunch. But I thought it was so interesting that she acknowledged that this was a business lunch, but somehow that because I was the female, I wasn't actually part of the business. So that was very interesting and telling as well. I definitely think that women, you're right, are not part of, we are not required to fix everything in the workplace that's currently wrong, especially in the tech world and not being supported. But I hope any women who are tuning into this episode feel more confident in starting those conversations. Where can you start that conversation and increase that visibility more within your own workplace? How can you have those conversations with your boss, with other allies in the workplace to help women, minority, everyone to feel more inclusive and supported and to not have it be this male-dominated environment because women do bring so much to the table that's really being missed. Yeah, hopefully your company has things like employee resource groups where you mm -hmm. can really meet with other allies. And if it doesn't, hey, suggest it to HR. Say, yes. you know, it would be great for us to start something like this to support our colleagues, right? And find other allies and be willing to be uncomfortable. That's the thing that I tell people mm -hmm. is it's about sharing and realizing the first time I had somebody give me a negative comment when I started doing public speaking, 
I was really hurt, but somebody told me, they're like, actually take that as a compliment because that means you're actually really making an impact. Look at all of the people who are really aligned with what you're sharing, with mm -hmm. aligned with your mission and realize that if you have people who are being negative or hating on you, it's it actually means that you're making an impact and it's a story I share because it's hard. It is hard to be the mm -hmm. only one in a room saying, hey, this isn't right. But that's the only way we're going to change things. And it's about taking action, right? Yes. I would encourage people to take some time to learn. Learn how to be a better ally. There's an amazing book by Karen Catlin called Better Allies. She has a newsletter every Friday that comes out with five tips on how to be a better ally. In her book, there's something that I, I actually just went through as a allyship workshop at Tile was spent 60 minutes first reviewed like what an ally was and one of the things in her book is 50 potential privileges that you have in the workplace mm -hmm. and so I actually read through all of those out loud in a team setting and had people really reflect on hey what are the privileges you have and then you know some of us also it was fascinating for me to realize I do have these privileges, but there are some that I was like, oh, I've been impacted by this because mm -hmm. of the other side. A very recent example for me is I'm Puerto Rican and somebody literally asked me the other day, they're like, are you a U.S. citizen? I'm like, oh what? Gosh. Yes, I am. <laughs> like, wh why are you like asking? First me of all, that? how does that impact you anyways? Like some <laughs> these questions like oh my gosh I'm sorry and so you know and then the other exercise I did was go through the seven roles of being an ally right and I really mm -hmm. had people reflect on how can you take action right and each of us can take action in many different ways listening to our colleagues and their struggles asking them hey what are the challenges taking the time to learn for the men listening take the time to sponsor women who you see yes. doing something successful you see somebody share something but then somebody else takes that idea and actually gets credit for it later hey reflect back on who originally shared that idea right mm -hmm. it's you can do this all in very empathetic ways it's not about being rude you don't have to tell somebody like you can be very constructive about this feedback and, yes. and but still be impactful and so you know what I tell everybody is if you want to be an ally it's about taking action and to take action you need to actually make it a habit or put it on your calendar if you want to do this like put 10 minutes on your calendar every day just think about how do I become a better ally like what am I going to do today yes I think that's great feedback and when you mention about when you've walked into a room and someone who has a lower title than you but is a male, can you walk me through how did you navigate that? How do you overcome that in a meeting or how do you deal with that in a day-to-day -day basis? So what's fascinating is like, I've just gotten used to being like, no, I'm the engineering manager. Yeah. And then there's usually this like little awkward silence, like, oh, and then we just keep going. And so I've just... I just 
call it out. I mean, I'm not rude about it, but I'll just be right. like, no, hey, sorry, I'm the engineering manager. I actually at one point had somebody email me an apology, which uh, was really impactful, honestly, yes. because at, up to that point, obviously it bothered me, but I didn't even realize how much it bothered me until I got that apology letter. And I was like, yeah, why do I have to put up with this? Why does mm -hmm. anybody have to put up with all of these microaggressions that yes. they have to deal with, right? One of my friends who's a successful female engineer, but who is blonde and beautiful was told to dress less female. So, you know, mm -hmm. she was respected more at work and people would want to talk to her. And it's just like, why does it matter? She's dressed professionally, mm -hmm. but yes, yeah, she's wearing a dress. So what? Why does it matter that she wears a dress, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think so much of that is education and understanding, even myself learning more about microaggressions and how I've said certain things and not realized, wow, that's actually a microaggression and I need to learn from this and I need to grow from this. So it's exactly what you're saying. You're walking into a room and if someone's assuming the wrong title for you, it's almost worth acknowledging saying, hey, let's not assume titles. Let me introduce myself. I will share what my title is and then we'll go forward with the meeting. Why do people need to assume? And when they assume incorrectly, I think that's really brave of that person. Uh, and maybe brave isn't the word. Maybe it's ownership of mm -hmm. saying, you know what, I messed up. But they're not making it all about themselves. They are simply reaching out to say, I apologize for assuming that you weren't in the role that you were in. You know what, that is so key. As an ally, you're gonna mess up, you're mm -hmm. gonna make mistakes. And it's about owning your mistakes. Like I make mistakes all the time, right? Even though I'm super passionate about this subject, mm -hmm. I sometimes have to go back and think like, huh, but it is about acknowledging and then being vulnerable and saying, hey, I'm sorry, I messed up. Like, this is how it really should be. It's that vulnerability piece and the willingness to speak up that really is what's going to change things intact. Agreed. Yes. So anyone who's tuning in, as soon as you feel that like a little bit of awkward, uncomfortable feeling, that is your prompt to take action really in those meetings when you said something or did something people appreciate like you said it was appreciated that they reached out to acknowledge that so I think if we all take a little bit more action and heading in the right direction just like anyone with your female counterpart who you said who likes to wear a dress or likes to look pretty in her own interpretation if someone else is sitting in a room especially if it's a male I would really appreciate them standing up and saying what does her looks have anything to do with how she is performing in her work just like a male counterpart if he's wearing grungy clothes like what does that have to do with the work that they put out so yeah I think it's a lot about that action that seems so small but can make such a difference Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about burnout, especially in the tech world. I know you say the whole death by a thousand paper cuts, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. What is your experience with burnout? 
Oh, I've definitely gone through burnout cycles. <laughs> and so my biggest burnout was when I left Apple in early 2018. I was I was going through some imposter syndrome. I I was pretty ready to just leave the tech industry. I was yeah. like, I'm done with how women in tech are treated. I left Apple not knowing if I was a decent manager. I, I was just like, I, my self-confidence was kind of shy. And I don't know what I want to do. I don't know that I want to put up with this. But I really realized something. One is I really got into self-care and little things, meditating, journaling, yes. daily planning, weekly planning, goal setting. And I really realized I love tech. I, I got my first computer when I was five, a Commodore oh, wow. 64. I've been playing <laughs> with tech since then. And I realized if I walked away, I would pretty much be walking away from having the ability to impact the future. Mm -hmm. And technology today doesn't really address the needs of women and other underrepresented minorities. Examples are voice assistants are much less accurate with female voices or for people with accents. Mm -hmm. Facial recognition software doesn't work as well for people with darker skin tones. The list goes on and on. There's so much bias in the yes. data being used for machine learning. And I realized I couldn't just walk away. So I was going to come back and do it under my rules this time yes. and really work somewhere that really valued creating an inclusive culture. And a big part of that has been for me figuring out how to not end up back in one of these burnout cycles. And self-care is so, so important. And I work hard, but I also, I work out three times a week. My calendar is a mess. Everybody at my work <laughs> always jokes around about how crazy my calendar is. Yes. But everybody at my work also knows that my three workout hours that are planned into my calendar during the week are non-negotiable. Like, yes. do not schedule over that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't move. You know, I take lunch, I take 30 minutes for lunch, because I realized I have to have a break in the middle of the day to, yes. to reset and go for a walk, play with my dogs, enjoy my backyard, just do something, right? The, the big thing for burnout was a realizing just like how crucial self care was to not taking it personally, right? Really realizing that a lot of what is going on, a lot of it was imposter syndrome kicking in, realizing when that starts happening and just taking the time to just reflect on my accomplishments and being like, all right, this is stupid. <laughs> yeah. Like, what am I even thinking right now? It's about building that resilience. And it, it does go back to what we were talking about earlier about being brave, right? It's about mm -hmm. being vulnerable, being willing to speak up. My career has honestly excelled in the last two years while I've been at Tile because I, I've been willing to speak up and say, hey, I think we need to do things differently. I do, I've been doing a ton of public speaking around diversity, equity, inclusion, empathetic engineering leadership, all of these topics. And it it's all about just putting myself out there. And yeah, it feels vulnerable sometimes, yes. but it's about not living with regrets. And it's hard not try, mm -hmm. trying to live with no regrets. It's really a mindset that I try to live by. 
Yeah, I I think a big thing is acknowledging self-care. I think it's so great that you have set that expectation with your team that your workout time is non-negotiable. Your lunchtime is non-negotiable because then it sets that expectation with your fellow team members and everyone else in the workplace to know, okay, I know that I can't book time that goes into that. And if I have a meeting that leads up to that, it has to end on time. That creates so much respect in advance of saying, hey, yeah, I'm happy to have this conversation. I need you to know that it has to end at 1 p.m. or whatever that looks like because you do have to respect that self-care. And if you don't, if you're allowing people to, your meetings to spill over into that time or to say, oh, I'll do it next week or I'll push it later or whatever that looks like, again, you're you're deprioritizing your own self-care. And I know even for me, I would have team members For me, I work a lot of hours in the evening when, especially when I was in a tech startup, I would be at the office dealing with all the fires, I guess, so to say, that come up throughout the day. And if I was feeling a little burnt out, maybe I'd leave a little bit earlier or come in a little bit later. But I was always back online working on my computer in the evening when I felt like I had a little bit more energy. And, but not everyone knew that. So I would have people say, oh, like here comes Nicole coming in late again today. And I would just call it out and say, if you have any issues with my schedule and how I like to plan my day and plan my energy, there's a lot that you don't see behind the scenes. So if you are concerned about any of my work getting done, book some time on my calendar and let's have a conversation. And that shut them up pretty quickly. And I've had to have that conversation several times. And I'm not going to lie now that I think about it, it's always been men who have jokingly said that to me about me either leaving early or coming in late. But I'm not the type of person that just likes to be in the workplace to be a body in the workplace. And I have always been an advocate that if you can get your work done, you know, go go home, relax, do some of that self-care, do what brings you happiness, and then come in fully recharged that next day. I, I really have a hard time with some of my male bosses in the past who want you to be physically in the office for 40 hours a week. And if he really saw how little work was getting done in some of those hours because we felt like we had to be there, we would drag on our work, people would get bored, we'd get distracted, and and it was really, were we doing our most productive work if we felt like we could not go home until 5 p.m.? That wasn't a great, you know, work-life balance. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yes. I I'm so with you. I love the whole remote work thing. My entire Mm -hmm. team was remote even before COVID. My entire team's up in Vancouver. I already had built that trust and relationship. And for me, I, I hate sitting in an office for 40 hours. I'm like you, I'm productive. I have evening spurts of productivity. (laughs) Even when I coded all the time, I remember the best schedule I had was actually back in my NetApp days in the early 2000s when I'd get into the office around 1130 and I'd do meetings from about 1130 to five or six when everybody else left. And between five and eight, I would code and I was so productive. And it was Mm -hmm. awesome because, yeah, nobody really cared and it was great. But 
Yeah, I will not work for somebody who's like, you need to have your your butt in a seat because that's not how I work. And as a leader, it's about showing your leadership by example too. And so that's why I think it's so important as a leader to be talking about self-care. Because Mm -hmm. if not, if you're constantly busy, 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 and always doing a million things, never taking care of yourself, your team is going to believe that that is what you expect of them, even if, especially if you don't explicitly tell them, right? But even if you do, people are going to follow your example. So if you're working crazy hours, your team's going to think they need to work crazy hours, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I'm very explicit when I have one-on-one with my team members is I ask them, like, how are your work hours doing? Are you taking enough time for self-care? I had talked to them about time blocking an hour and a half or something of their day for deep work and going on Slack and saying, hey, like, I'm going to be doing deep work now. I'm not available, right? Mm-hmm. I encourage this in my team members. And that's what we need all leaders to be doing if we want to actually make the workplace successful for everybody. Yeah, I can remember a boss who we were a very small startup and everyone, of course, had a million things always on their list that needed to get done. That really was it was always ongoing in a startup place. You have a million things that you always want to be working on and you can only do so much during each day and each week. And I remember there was a holiday coming up and he had sent an email that said, you know, this day we are acknowledging is a holiday and you're welcome to take it off if you feel like you don't have work that you need to get done. So (laughs) it was a very, like, I reached out to my leaders afterwards and we had a very close relationship where I said, that email basically said no one can take time off. That was, Mm -hmm. like, anyone taking time off is basically saying, I, I know I have work to get done. All of us do, but we also need a day where we can decompress and actually enjoy this holiday with our family or maybe honestly alone if that's what we prefer. But it was not the greatest message to send. And it was exactly like you were saying, the type of leaders that are constantly go, go, go. They talk about how they work 80 hours a week and that's what needs to get done to make things happen. And how is that supposed to make me feel if I'm not putting in more than 40? Because at that time I was extremely pregnant, but I still wouldn't want to work more than 40 hours ideally anyways. That's not healthy for me. And in that career, I realized when I had a conversation with the CEO And he said, you know, if you're at this level, this is how many hours I expect you to work each week. And if you're at this level, this is how many hours. So if I wanted to move up these tiers, it was like I was going to have to add 10 to 20 hours a week to my current 40 hours. And for me, that was an instant, okay, this is definitely never going to happen. I'm never going to grow here because if you think that my value is only by my actual time, then we have a very big misunderstanding of what I can bring to this company. Absolutely. And guess what? Research shows that people are less 
productive after I think it's around 35 hours. Mm -hmm. So asking people to work 80 hours, like you're, you're pretty much having like drunk people coding for you. <laughs> yeah, let's much. see where we like, get with that. <laughs> um, and, and people don't think about that, right? Mm -hmm. They're just like more time is equals better. And it's just yes. like, no, no, mm -hmm. more time doesn't. You know, it, it does not always mean, and it's the meeting culture too. It's stopping those things and realizing that, Hey, let's be impactful, have meetings mm -hmm. when we need them, yes. you know, but we can get our work done and still have time for our personal lives. Agreed. So would you say that if someone, especially a female in the workplace is experiencing burnout, would you recommend reevaluating their self-care as a first step? Or what would that look like for you as advice for someone who's been through those cycles? Yeah. So first really figuring out where you're falling down in self-care because mm -hmm. a lot of times burnout really is tied to some self-care thing and it might be you're working too many hours you're mm -hmm. taking things personally right really it's first identifying what that is and figuring out what are your triggers really being intentional on identifying your triggers and trying to figure out okay is it my job? Is it my environment? You know, a big example for me in COVID was when COVID started, my husband and I were both sharing an office and it was fine. I'd be on my meetings and he, he didn't have meetings, so it was okay. But I realized I was just like, so tired. I'm an introvert. And so I was just like, by the end of the day, I was just like, so tired of being in the same room with somebody else. And it was just kind of was impacting our relationship. And I was just feeling a little almost burnt out by it. Yeah. And I realized I just needed a space for myself. Like, and we set mm -hmm. up a separate office for me. And it was just game changing in right. the just like, how much energy I have on a day to day basis. And obviously, I, I, had the ability to have a, another room, which I definitely uh -huh. appreciate, but take the time to reflect, like what, what is that trigger? What is the thing that is causing you grief right now? And is there something you can change, right? And obviously there's a lot of things you might not be able to impact, but focus mm -hmm. on what are those small things that you might be able to do and really being honest with yourself. Are you spending hours browsing social media on yes. your phone? You know, are you watching Netflix too much, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes we procrastinate and don't spend our time in healthy ways. So yes. can you schedule in 10 minutes of journaling or meditation or exercise or visualization? Like whatever your thing is, right? And everybody's going to be different about what really works for them but it's about taking the time to do that so find your th thing that makes you feel restful for a little bit and make sure you're doing that on a daily basis yeah for me when I've experienced that burnout at first it was really exciting stuff it was 
a new environment. It was a new project and I was really excited about it and I had all this energy. And then as time goes on, I realize I can't always have that amount of energy for that. And that's okay. It's okay to have that initial excitement and know that yes, this is what I want to do, but it's also not realistic for me to spend 10 hours a day on that all the time. So I think especially as women, we get a little down on ourselves thinking, well, I was able to do that. I was performing at a peak at some point. So why not now? Why am I not good enough now? And kind of get down on themselves thinking, oh, well, I just need to try harder or work longer. And that's not the case at all. It really is acknowledging that we all have ebbs and flows in that excitement energy. And that doesn't mean that you're not good enough or that you can't do just as great of work in a little bit less time or prioritizing how you're spending that time. So I agree in reflecting, having a moment to reflect. And especially if you feel like you're constantly go, 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 go. And then all of a sudden it's time for bed. You're probably in a good state to think, okay, yes, that's me. I need to calm down for a minute and realize what, like how I'm prioritizing my day and what things can I shift around to not feel so panicked and uh, rushed really through the whole day. Yeah. And to go back to something you mentioned as well, we talked about, you know, you start that new job, right? And you have this big energy level and excitement. The other thing that can sometimes cause burnout is you're so excited. You want that next job. You want Mm -hmm. that next role. You want that next project. You get it. And then you're, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to do this at the same level of competence I did my previous role. And you somehow in your head think, oh my gosh, I'm now supposed to be just as good as my new role as I was at my previous role, even though that's a stupid expectation because everyone has to learn. Nobody, Mm -hmm. Nobody expects that you're magically going to start something brand new and be an expert at it. Yeah, we sometimes hold ourselves to that standard And then that imposter syndrome causes the burnout because something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And then we get into our heads and say, oh, I don't deserve this. Or they made a mistake in picking me for this. And then you get into this burnout and you stop wanting to do things. It's really about noticing that trigger as well. Yes, Josie, I love that you said that. It's so true. And this is something I come across within women so often is anytime that they're in that new role and they're thinking, oh, should I be here? I always ask them, when you started at your last role, were you as good as when you left? And of course the answer is likely no, unless you were totally hired into the wrong position and you recognize that. But there's so much growth that happens. And sometimes we are naturally initially really great at something. We have a great skill set or a connection to something. And so we naturally do good at that thing. But it doesn't mean that because you take on an extra project or something new that you're expected. You've grown and you've shown how great you can be at these things. So when you're hired into these new positions or getting these extra projects, it, you've got to think about potential versus what you've accomplished. Because if you think about potential, then you realize, okay, 
people believe in me so they know I can get things done. I have proven that in my past so I have the potential to do the exact same thing on this new project and now I have all these additional resources and I love when I've had previous bosses in the past who have said you know what try something on your own for about 10 to 20 minutes no more than even 45 minutes if you cannot figure out the answer you ask for help. You go to your resources because if I am spending an hour, two hours, three hours on this one piece of this tiny, silly part of the project, that can be so draining. But if you asked someone and they were like, here it is, you know, and they taught you how to do it so that you know how to do it in the future, your time is so much better spent and you aren't feeling that drained energy. You're getting that shared combination and again you're you're asking for help you're getting that and so there's that shared interest as well like you mentioned of saying yeah I finished this project and when I had issues I reached out to Josie and she gave me some answers and it was so helpful that I didn't even have to stop what I was doing I knew that she could help me and really acknowledging the help from your your colleagues Yeah. And to kind of add to that a little bit is Mm -hmm. one of the fears, especially as you're going up in your career, is you might not have other colleagues in your company, especially if you're in a small company, right? Mm -hmm. You might be the only female VP in the team. And so it really ties to building your network as well. And I think for women in tech, that is so crucial because mm-hmm. you are going to end up being the only woman in a room sometimes and you need a network not only within your company but also outside your company to support you and yes. really be that gut check for you around things that you might just get into your head about exactly all right that was so much helpful information. I can't believe it's been almost an hour that we've been talking. It was such great information, such a good conversation about really helping women in the workplace and starting from finding those internships, making sure that we stand up for ourselves, making sure that we implement some of that self-care and acknowledge that it's okay to do that and honestly encourage others to do the same. And I'm really excited. We'll be talking about a bonus question afterwards. So if you're not a member of Patreon, I recommend going over there. We'll be talking about how to build a network of supportive women, not only for uh, internship possibilities, but as we had just talked about in making sure that you have support if you are in a male-dominated environment to know where to reach out for additional help and guidance from other people in your same roles who are women. So thanks again, Josie, so much for being here today. All right. Thank you. Bye. Okay. That interview was so great. I am hoping you loved it as much as I did. Wow. I talk about how I feel like those feelings and I talk about getting chills and that's probably like, I say that all the time. So I want to change it up a little bit and really acknowledging what that is. What what are those chills mean to me? And when I was speaking with Josie, so much of that was the empowerment and the ownership aspect of really knowing that we still have such a long way to go. 
There has been so much great progress for women in the workplace, getting women closer to pay or equal pay as our male counterparts. But as she's mentioning, she is the head of diversity and inclusion as part of her role. So there is still so much work that needs to be done. As she's acknowledging the capabilities of AI and all of these learnings and the differences about languages and skin tones and all of these things, there is just such a long way to go. And I hope that all of the women tuning in really feel that sense of empowerment and really excitement to go out there and make an impact in the workplace in wherever you're going to be at. You are so needed. The world needs more female leaders. It's something that brings so much happiness to me when I think about that statement. And again, it's not leadership so much in the title, it's leadership in your presence. You can have so much leadership without the title. There have been many previous roles where I didn't have the highest title or even close to the highest title, but my male counterparts came to me for advice and guidance and all sorts of input because they valued what my presence was and what I had to offer. And I know that you have that in you as well. And for the men tuning in, I hope that you can take this as an opportunity to see how you can support women in the workplace. And it's not as a charity case. It's not as a requirement. It's something that I hope you do because you want to help more women feel like they can be just as successful and be an ally to them. I think Josie put that perfectly is being more of an ally in the workplace and really opening up your eyes to see what the differences are between men getting projects and women getting projects and what that looks like and how you can help be that ally. How can you shout them out in meetings? How can you shout out uh, women or any of the minority people who work with you? How can you help bring them up? And I would love to see more of that in the workplace as well. This was such a great episode. I hope that if it's something that's resonated with you and that you feel like you have a friend, a coworker, whoever it may be who is going through something similar or who you feel would benefit from this message, I hope you send them a link and tell them exactly why you'd love for them to tune in and that we get more of this message out there. Also, don't forget to head over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash next level leaders to hear the answer to this bonus question. How would you suggest for any women in the workplace to build a network of supportive women, not only for finding internship possibilities, but also honestly finding support from other women who are in similar roles who might be in male-dominated industries. Josie and I had such a great conversation today. Honestly, I could have talked to her for at least another hour, but I realized that we were running short on time. Typically, I book an hour for these interviews, and sometimes they go close to time and that's from start to finish of the pre-call and then starting the recording and going from there but 
With Josie, we had so much to talk about and it was all such great information that I felt needed to be shared. So I was very appreciative of all of her time and all of the information that she shared. I hope that you got so much value out of this week's episode. And again, definitely go follow Josie, connect with her over on LinkedIn. If she is doing any of these speaking events, I would see how you can get involved to be a participant because she has so much more knowledge to share. On my website, www.nicoleharrop.com, you'll see an option for courses. That's going to link you to the site where I currently host all of my courses. And when you click to view my courses, if you scroll down, there will be some featured courses. And that's where I'll put the free video of why you should create a work journal. But if it's not there, when you go to find this free resource, you'll just click to view all courses and you'll be able to find it there as well. There are several different mini courses that I offer. So if any of them are appealing to you, definitely check them out. You can click into the different courses to see what is offered. And the price is located in the bottom right corner before you even click to view or learn more. There will be some more free content that I'm going to be adding as well as very inexpensive options. And if this is something that's helpful for you or someone else, definitely feel free to share it with your friends. All right, that's all I have for this week. Thank you again for hanging out until the end of the episode for this free resource. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Next Level Leaders. If today's episode resonated with you, please take a quick screenshot, share it to your Instagram, and tag me at Nicole.Harrop. I love to see it and it means the world to me. I appreciate you helping to spread the word so I can help more women. See you on next week's episode.